breathing is stressing me out. This will affect the entire planet. I know, but it's like so stressful. Can I get that one more ice water? I'll get two more glasses of white wine, and I don't need the judgy face. There's a comet headed directly towards Earth. Do you know how many the world is ending meetings? You just missed the edge there. The key thing, the premise of the movie, Don't Look Up, coming to Netflix soon, a giant comet is coming to destroy the Earth, and they just don't know when. The movie traces the characters trying to be ready for it as best they can, and so they try and get important people to notice. They go on a huge media tour to get the message out often getting laughed out of the room. They're convinced the object is coming. They're convinced it will come and bring sudden destruction, and so they do whatever is necessary to be ready for it. When Paul the Apostle wrote to the Thessalonian church, he encouraged them to be ready, but not for some object, some inanimate object, but rather for the sudden coming of the Lord. And as we consider the coming of the Lord, let's pray. Father, we give you thanks that you have given us your word, such that we know that the coming of the Lord is imminent, and that we can be ready for it. Teach us now in this time what you would have us know about this day, and how to be ready for it. Amen. Well, to get us up to speed with what Paul is saying in 1 Thessalonians 5, the passage JJ just read, here's a little Netflix-style recap. The Thessalonian church was one much like what I hear here at Wild Street. The author Paul and his co-workers, they'd laboured among these people, teaching them the truths of God's word, teaching them the gospel, all through suffering. And the church had imitated them, and subsequently became an example to many, many other churches in the area, just like you guys here. Have a look at chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. See, they're an incredible encouragement. And yet, Paul and his companions were torn away from the Thessalonians. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavoured the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. This tearing away possibly refers to the events of Acts chapter 17, where an angry mob forced them out because they were angry at their teaching about Jesus. But even though separated, Paul and his companions still loved the Thessalonians, and they were incredibly worried about how they were going because they knew that they were suffering. Have a look at chapter 3, verse 5. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labour would be in vain. But then Timothy comes back with a report of good news. Even though they're suffering, they're doing 
well. And so Paul is overjoyed. Have a look at verse 6 of chapter 3. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you, for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. They're an encouragement, and yet Paul doesn't want them to slip into being comfortable. Have a look at chapter 4, verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. He wants to spur them on. He wants them to abound in what they're already doing. And he reminds them throughout the letter that as they do that, they're awaiting the imminent return of the Lord. Have a look on the screen. Hopefully it'll come up. Chapter 1, verse 9. I'm going to read from here because I may have used a different translation on the slide. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. 1 Thessalonians 2, 19. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. 1 Thessalonians 3. May he strengthen your heart so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. 1 Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. See, rather than saying, don't look up, he says, no, look up. The Lord is coming. The Lord is at hand. The Lord will return. And so Paul anticipates the question from the Thessalonians. Well, when? When will this happen? When will he return? Now, we don't know exactly why they might ask this. I wonder, given their context of suffering, if it's possible that they might start doubting that the day will come. This suffering is just going on for so long. It's also possible that some are preoccupied with the time or date because then if they know, well, it's coming on the 13th of January 2027, well, they don't need to be ready now. They can just get ready for that exact date and time. But whatever the case, Paul says the day of the Lord is imminent. It's point one, the sudden coming of the day of the Lord. Have a look at 1 Thessalonians 5. You might need a Bible because these ones in 1 Thessalonians 5 aren't on the screen. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. As Josh mentioned, before I began NTS, I was a maths teacher. My old minister said, oh, so you just don't like being liked by other people. And that, that hurt. I would explain to students on the whiteboard in detail, in lots of detail, how to do a maths problem. Five minutes later, every single time, there was always at least one kid. Sir, I don't know how to do this. 
and I have to go up, I have to swallow my pride and remind them that I'd already told them how to do it. You know how to do this problem. And with a little prompt, they would usually remember, although not always. It's clear here that Paul thinks the Thessalonians should already know the answer. They should already know when the day of the Lord will come. And maybe it's because Paul and his companions had taught them from the Old Testament, maybe from passages like Zephaniah 1, showed them, taught them that the day of the Lord would be the day the Lord promised to bring complete justice and final judgment to his world. Have a look at Zephaniah 1. The great day of the Lord is near, near and coming quickly. The cry on the day of the Lord is bitter. The mighty warrior shouts his battle cry. That day will be a day of wrath, a day of distress and anguish, a day of trouble and ruin, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and blackness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the corner towers. I will bring such distress on all people that they will grope about like those who are blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood will be poured out like dust and their entrails like dumb. Maybe they also taught them the words that Jesus said about that day in Matthew 24. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. See, whatever the case, Paul tells them, you already know the times and dates. And many of you here this morning already know the times and dates, or rather, don't know. Because we don't know exactly when the day of the Lord is coming, just that it will come. And that it will come like a thief in the night. Have a look at verse 1. Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. When I was younger, I used to love watching this show called Hustle. It's all about these elaborate schemes to try and hustle people out of as much money as they could. And in almost every episode, there was the same scene. Almost every episode. The scene when the victim realised what had happened. The shock and surprise. They had no idea they'd been robbed. And that's exactly the point. The coming of the thief is unexpected. The coming of the thief is sudden. It's a complete surprise. And Paul says, that's what this day will be like for those people. Have a look at verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. While people are saying peace and safety, the judgement of the Lord will come suddenly like labour pains. It's a just judgment promised throughout Scripture for humanity's rebellion against their Maker, for sinning against the Lord, as we saw in Zephaniah chapter 1. 
thoughts of peace and safety, security, suddenly turn to the reality of destruction. Now, it may be that these people are experiencing peace and safety, or it may just be that they're longing for it. Either way, the peace and safety they speak of here is ultimately an illusion because the peace and security and safety is not found in the Lord. Like trying to hold smoke in your hands. 5 verse 3. While people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labour pains come upon a pregnant woman and they will not escape. My sister is a midwife down in Barrel. And she was telling me that a lot of women come into the hospital, not all, but a lot, come in and they're quite comfortable and happy and they feel, feel quite good. And then come the labour pains, the sudden labour pains, and everything changes. I'm sure some of you have experienced it. And she was telling me that many of the mothers will start saying, oh, I'm actually going to go home now if that's okay with you. I'm, I'm done. I don't want this pain anymore. Actually, I'm not going to have this baby now. I'm going to go home. I said, what do you say? And she said, well, whether they like it or not, the baby's coming. It doesn't matter how they feel about it. The day of the Lord will come suddenly like labour pains. Its coming will be inescapable like labour. It will be not there one minute and there the next. An unwelcome disruption to the comfort of peace and security. And so, please hear the warning if you are an unbeliever here this morning. This day has not yet come. So the words of Paul here are just as true this morning as they were when he wrote them to the Thessalonians. Destruction will come, as God promises here, on you who feel comfortable in your situation without Jesus as your king, without Jesus as your peace and security. And it may not be easy to hear, it may even be jarring, but these are not just my words, they're the very words of the living God. And there is a way to be saved. Listen out for it later. But for those who are not in darkness, Paul says, the day shouldn't surprise you. Have a look at verse 4. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. In other words, you've been told the thief is coming. The element of surprise is lost. So, along with the Thessalonians, we should be ready. And this is point two. Be ready for the day of the Lord. See, even though they're fully aware that the day of the Lord is coming, Paul exhorts them and all believers with another reason why to be ready. Have a look. Again, verse 4 and 5. But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. You see, he says, be ready because of who you are. At uni, I used to, when I was studying teaching, we would often have classes with the PE students. 
And you could always pick them because they were always wearing sports uniform. I felt really bad for the poor muscly ones because they always seemed to have washing machines that shrunk their clothes and made it stick tight to their muscles. But even if their shirts were too small, they were ready. Even on the days where they didn't know whether they'd have sport or not, they were ready with their uniforms on, ready to go because they knew, I'm a sports person, so I'm going to play sport. Paul says believers should be ready because of who we are. You see that believers are not of darkness, but rather children of light, children of the day. In other words, you belong to the light. You are of the light. You belong to the day. I take this to be the Lord's day, not just another angle of saying light. The Lord's day. You belong to the day. You are of the day. And given who you are, be ready for the day of the Lord. And to be ready is to be awake and sober-minded. Have a look at verse 6. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. To be ready is, is really just about living a life consistent with who you are. Different to the world around who are asleep to the reality. Different to a world whose concerns are only about the things of this life, building a name for themselves, building a financial portfolio for the purposes of selfish gain, living in comfort and joy in this life, living as if there is no judgment to come, no day to come. Verse 6, So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. You see, that as children belonging to the day, we're not to be asleep and out to the realities of the day approaching, but awake and sober. I have a friend back in my church in Wollongong. Whenever he falls asleep, he's just fully out to it. So there's one time where he was asleep and we thought, well, we'll just see how out to it he is. And so my friend slapped him that hard on the face and he didn't wake up. And he kept going 30 times, I'm not joking, 30 times until he woke up. He was completely out to it. We're not to be asleep and out to it like my friend. We're to be awake, to be clear-minded, to be sober-minded. The idea of sober-mindedness is really just about having a clear mind, clear focus, to have a clear vision about the realities of that day. And so we need to be clear on what God has to say about that day, and not just know it, but believe it and live it out. So I wonder, what are the things for you that make you lose clarity or focus? about that day? What are the things that distract you from the realities of this sudden day of the Lord? On Friday morning, some of us in the mission team 
went out and did some leafleting at Maroubra Beach and I was uh, one of the poor souls that just had to go to Maroubra Beach and stand in the beautiful sun. It was a horrible thing, but I did notice that it was very beautiful there. It's very beautiful. And as I looked out, do you know the last thing I was thinking about? The last thing I was thinking was, man, I want the day of the Lord to come. They're just so beautiful. Why, why would I need anything else? This is, this is everything. But if I'm honest, that's how I, I feel when things are going well. That's how I feel when I'm in a beautiful part of the world. I don't want the day of the Lord to come. Maybe some of us are like that. Maybe some of us lose focus because although we say we believe the day is coming, the different parts of our life don't really reflect that. The way we've set up our week or we've set up our lives or what we do in our family don't really reflect that. It's so easy to end up using my time and, and my energies and my money and my thoughts for the end of gain for me and my family. To lose focus on those things is... Sorry, to lose focus is to use those things in a way that doesn't make sense given the urgency of the day approaching. Maybe how you use your social media doesn't reflect the way that the sudden day of the Lord is coming. Are there areas in your life or your family life that need to change? Areas that don't make sense given the urgency of the day approaching. And I wonder if you noticed in verse 8, but since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. To the person who is sober-minded, who is clear-minded about that day, has already put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. They are always ready for the day of the Lord. They're awake, they're sober-minded and they're armoured up, ready for the day to come at any moment. Are you ready? Are you ready? If you are, praise God. Stay awake. Stay sober-minded, clear-minded about the day. Remove the distractions that lull you to sleep or the things that make you blur your vision. Continue in faith, hope, love. Continue to search the scriptures and see the realities of that day. Continue to meet together as you are doing. It may very well be for some of you that you know that you're not really ready. You have put on the armour, but you've been living as if you're one in darkness. Living as if you're not a child of the light. Well, God says, that's not who you are. Wake up. Sober up. The day is coming. Maybe you're not ready because... Well, you haven't put on the armour at all. You know that your faith is not in Jesus and you don't have hope of salvation on that last day and there's no love for God's people. 
you know that in your present condition, you will not be saved from God's wrath on that day. Well, please hear, it is not too late. The day is not yet upon us. See, the Thessalonians, they were able to escape God's wrath when they heard the message by trusting what Jesus had done. They didn't grow up Christians necessarily. They were taught the message and they made a conscious decision to change, to trust what Jesus has done. And in doing so, they became children of light. They became those who are ready for the day of the Lord. And so you can wake up and sober up and be ready by trusting what God has done in Jesus. Because in the end, being ready, really, it just flows out of what God has done in Christ. Have a look at verse 9. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. See, the momentous news is that for those like the Thessalonians who have their hope and trust in Jesus, they are saved from God's wrath and for life with Him. Saved from wrath for God. In His death, Jesus took on Himself the punishment and wrath that we deserve so that on that final day, whether we are alive or dead, Awake or asleep? I think that metaphor of awake or asleep is actually shifts slightly back to what he's talking about in chapter 4. But whether we're alive or dead, we might live with him. It's relational language. Imperfect relationship. What amazing grace. See, if those characters in Don't Look Up They're successful. They do warn people about that comet to come. Well, yes, they're saved from destruction, but for nothing in particular. But we are deserving of the wrath of God. Yet in God's grace, He doesn't just save those who trust in Him from the wrath. He saves us for life with Him. It's incredible. Jerry Bridges, in his book... Transforming Grace tells us the story about his mother who used to feed homeless people. And he makes the argument that what she was doing, it wasn't grace, it was mercy. He says grace would be if one of these homeless people ruined her house before, stole all this stuff, and then the very next day his mother was to feed the homeless person and give him shelter. He gets the complete opposite of what he deserves. And in a much huger way, that's what we see here. We deserve wrath, but we don't just get saved for something neutral. We get life with God. Have a look again. Did you see it there? For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. It's just an incredible act of love, isn't it? Jesus is just amazing. Given this beautiful 
mind-blowing reality. What does he say we are to do then? Have a look at verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. If me, I personally presume this is kind of just happening. It'll just happen. Uh, people are reminding each other of the gospel, reminding each other of the truths of God's word, encouraging each other and building each other up. Yet Paul here feels the need to say it, which implies that it's a intentional thing that you're doing. You're intentionally encourage each other and build each other up. So I thought it might be helpful to know what are you here already doing to encourage one another and build each other up? A church, Bible study throughout the week and in daily conversation. So Josh has a mic here and in 30 seconds after you chat to each other, he's going to come around and there are a couple of people who are going to kick us off and then if you have something to share that you think would be helpful, you can go ahead and do that. So chat to the person next to you, 30 seconds.
encouraging for me to see uh, God's work being done both globally and locally. Uh, most of us probably get some of the newsletters from some of the ministry folk that we support and just being able to hear what they suffer through, what they've given up, um, and also the joy that comes in return of doing God's work, knowing that that hope is real for them is really encouraging. And also then being able to partner with them in our loneliness of our bedroom and praying for them is a real joy. Um, I also said, you know, being able to see God's work done locally is, is, is really encouraging to me. And similar to Terry and someone else who was speaking earlier, um, you know, I get the privilege of meeting with a bunch of guys midweek and I, I think we all come with our flaws but with a heart that says, I want to open God's word, sit under it, and this living word that encourages us so that we can understand his character more. Um, and that's, that's beautiful. Mm, mm. Yeah, I also back the growth group, like sharing life with each other. But I think something else I've been super encouraged by is that like everyone is so willing to practically love each other in the way Christ loved us. Like I've been a poor uni student for like three years here and I constantly just like get fed meals or get prayed for. I feel like every time I come to church in the morning, there's an older guy that comes up and chats to me and says, oh, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And I think just getting alongside each other and praying for each other and just like practical things like that which I'm sure also AFES team have felt this week. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just really cool feeling super loved by your whole church, even by people you don't know that well. Uh, one learning I've, from Johnny's talk is uh, a reminding I should keep my T-shirt the whole year around and not only this period of time. Yeah, uh, but I'm from a women's Bible study group, and that's a great, great place uh, for me, um, you know, get the leaders and the other women to share real life and encourage one another with God's word and really pray for another. Um, so that's what I want. I will go two more, Josh. Hi, my name is Rena. I just feel um, after of, out of church, people text to each other, contact each other personally, and means a lot for me and uh, to show our uh, loving, caring in the, our uh, daily life, not only mm. in the group, in the church, and yeah, but it's very true, very touching. Thank you. Mm. Mm. I think one of the constant encouragements is the young adults and um, so on who give up their time either on a Friday night for youth group or on Sunday mornings for kids' church and sumo and the like, uh, building relationships and sharing life with the kids of the church and that encouragement that they give the kids and, um, you know, they could be doing other things, sleeping in or going out with friends on a Friday night but they'd rather come and see those relationships and build that faith for the kids. Mm. We could just keep going, couldn't we? There's so many 
And as I've been here this week, I've been so, so encouraged by all of you. And the mission team has as well, they've shared as they've been billeted some of the things you've been talking about uh, with us and it's just incredibly encouraging. And so I think Paul's words here are just as true for you when he says, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you're doing. So I want to say the same to you. Keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep encouraging and building each other up just as you already are doing. See, the, the characters in Don't Look Up, they, they do genuinely believe that this object is coming imminently and so they do whatever is necessary to not be caught sleeping, to be ready for it and to encourage others to do the same. The Lord Jesus is returning. The day of the Lord will come suddenly, bringing wrath for the unbeliever, destruction and salvation for the believer. So let us be those who do whatever is necessary to not be caught sleeping. Let us be those who are ready for the day, awake and sober, encouraging each other, just as we've just done, all the more as we see that day approaching because of what God has done in the Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the clarity of your word that brings us to know you, to be children of the light, children of the day. Help us to be those who are awake and sober, clear-minded about that day. Help us to continue to encourage each other, to build each other up as people here are already doing. We pray, Lord, if there is anyone amongst our number who has not yet put on the breastplate of faith in Christ, of love, of hope for salvation, that you might bring them to know that hope, that they might put their trust in you and have salvation for the day that is to come. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.